you make your money when you buy an investment. So it's really important to know your numbers when you buy it and just don't pay too much for it because if you pay too much, you can get saddled with a property that you're never going to make anything on. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fund That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fund That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fund That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times, giving us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project or if it's not profitable you need to know that too and make a determination on the max purchase price super important you can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever get that free analysis tool fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever best ever listeners welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show i'm joe fairless this is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast we only talk about the best advice ever we don't get into any fluffy stuff with us today michael rogers how you doing michael doing good hey joe glad to be here Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Michael. He is a full-time real estate investor and owner of Chandler Properties. He, after 15 years in the corporate accounting world, retired, actually January, retired, and became a full-time investor. In fact, I'm looking at the date. You retired five days ago. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I retired from corporate. Five retired days ago, from corporate. Correct. Wow. Okay. Well, this is some good stuff. He manages a residential rental portfolio, including 350 storage units and office space. Also flips and wholesales properties through sellmichaelyourhouse.com. Love that URL. Based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. With that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? You kind of hit it there. Um, I think probably the most interesting thing is probably last week was my last day. And hopefully in the corporate world, I spent 15 years as a CPA working in internal audit and various backgrounds. And I was fortunate after about 12 years in that, I went part-time. And then last week I stepped off just to be full-time investor. We've got uh, about 350 storage units and several residential properties. And now I'm just full-time down at our office managing those and trying to kind of figure out going forward, what my plan's going to be, what my day's going to look like, and how I can grow that business and really focus on that going forward. Do you manage or do you also own those 350 storage units? Both, yeah, we own them. They're ours and manage them as well. But the good thing about these storage units is it's not a 40-hour-a-week job. I mean, people come in, they rent a storage unit here or there, and you may spend an hour a day working with them. That leaves a lot of time for me to focus on growing the wholesaling business or flipping business or managing properties and trying to grow my business. Mm -hmm. 
can we talk a little bit about the storage units? Sure. Okay, because rarely do I have a guest who, who owns storage units, so I, th- I think it will be a good experience for the listeners and myself to talk a little bit about that. You got 350 storage units. You said we. Who's we? Well, most of them are just me, and then I, on one of my self-storage facilities, I've partnered with another investor. So I've got a passive investor, a silent investor that's in it. And so I guess we would be in that case, it would be them as well. Okay, so of the 350, there are multiple storage facilities. How many do you have? In Cleveland, Tennessee, which is just outside Chattanooga, Tennessee, we've got three facilities. And I kind of bought them staggered. The first one I bought in 2009, kind of dipped my toe into it. This is a small facility. It maybe had 55 units. And that was the first one we bought. The second one we bought a couple of years later, that was our Westland Drive facility. And it had, at the time, 30 units, but it had two concrete pads that we could build on. And we built those out, and then we filled up. There was a commercial building on site. We filled that up with climate control suits. So that one went from having you know, 30, 35 units to having about 130, 140 units. And then about two years ago, I picked up one more in the same town. It's maybe got 150 units or a little bit more. So I've just kind of grown a few here and a few there, just kind of keep an eye out for good deals. And when I can find one, I try to pounce on it as quick as I can. And, and most all of them have been underperforming assets where you buy them. They're not doing very well and I fix them up clean them up, get rid of the bad tenants, get good tenants in there, get people paying, and just managing them. Mm-hmm. You make it sound so simple. <laughs> <laughs> Does that sound simple? <laughs> it's not rocket science, but it is a lot of just blocking and tackling. It's self-storage, it's not hard. It's like any investment. You just got to buy it right. You know, don't pay too much, and then manage it well and make sure it's, you keep good tenants in there, make sure people are paying if they're not paying encourage them to either move out or get paid up and just do it like any other real estate investment. You focus on underperforming assets or these have been underperforming assets or storage facilities. What are some indicators that you look for to identify if they're underperforming? I think just in general, that's why I'm able to get them cheap. As far as if somebody's got a fully performing, let's say this thing's you know, 90% rented out, everybody's paying really well, people are going to want top value for that. So the ones I've gotten, there's been some sort of situation where the people that bought it, maybe they decided self storage would be easy to get into, and one of them owned an electrical shop, they sold electrical equipment, and then they added some self storage on the back, and then they kind of threw the negative economy, the bad economy of 2009, 2011, they went out of business, and the units were empty. And so... That thing was worth very little because their home office was based well out of town. They had a bunch of storage units, which were sitting empty and growing up. Another one, somebody had inherited the property, and that really wasn't what they did. You know, I think you find that a lot in a lot of real estate situations where somebody years ago that was really business-minded, they really loved business, and they were very good at it. And somewhere along the trail, they passed away. There's some sort of health issue and somebody else ends up with it, and that's just not their thing. And the property goes in disrepair, and therefore it's not worth as much. So you can go in there and buy it at what it is right then, fix it up, get it performing, and you've got something valued at what it's performing at then. I'm typically just looking around. Back to your question of what am I looking for. I'll just kind of look around and see, you know, does that thing look like the grass is growing up? Does it look like it's a lot of doors that are open or unrepaired? 
I'm in my market, and one of them I picked out by sending out yellow letters. I just went on Google, listed out every single self storage with property within about 30 minutes of me, went on the property tax assessor website, found what's the mailing address for these folks, and just sent them yellow letters saying, hey, you know, I've got some self storage. I'd like to buy some more. You know, if you want to network or if you're interested in selling or you just want to grab a cup of coffee, give me a call. I'd be glad to talk with you, and I'll be able to pick up one that way. Hmm. You went on Google. You got all the addresses. I assume you just searched self-storage Chattanooga? Self-storage Cleveland, Tennessee. Okay. And then usually on Google Maps, you can just find all the ones that are around. And you took those addresses, and you went to the property tax assessor's website and got the mailing addresses for the individuals or the entities that own the property, correct? That's correct. Was it literally yellow? Yeah. I mean, it was just like people that flip houses. Here people do drive for dollars. You drive around, get the address, take a pad of paper, and write a handwrite. Hey, I'm interested in buying your property. Call me if you want to sell. Mm. And a lot of times that triggers people. I mean, they see that and they're like, wow, that's not just a standard type-fonted mass-produced letter. And that was one of the points that the seller of one of those properties made to me. Is, you know, I saw that. You know, I've gotten hit up by other people before, and I saw that. I thought that was pretty authentic. And then once they call you and you go sit with them and talk to them, that's when you sell yourself as being, hey, I will close. I know what I'm doing. I'll, I'll definitely pay you. I'm going to do what I say. You can feel comfortable in selling to me that I'm going to carry on the property and take care of it. Walk us through that meeting when you have that in-person conversation. You just gave us the high level of how you qualify, but what's your outcome for that meeting? Hopefully, I get to buy the property. I mean, when you say outcome, what do you Yeah, like when you go there, do you go with a certain flow of how you're going to have the conversation ideally go? Or are you just going, hey, I want to try and buy the property, so I'm going to just have a conversation with them and eventually get to that? Probably the second thing. I'm going to talk with them and get to know them. Just let them know, hey, at the end of the day, even if we can't buy this property, at least you'll have a contact. Uh, I'd like to network with you. You never know down the road. Because even and people know this. I'm sure you do as well, you know, as an investor. A lot of times people aren't ready to sell that day. It may be a year from now they want to sell. And the most important thing to do is just plant that seed there that, hey, I'm a responsible, I'm an honest person, I'm ethical, I'm a good person to know. You know, somewhere down the trail, maybe right now is not the time for you to sell. Maybe right now at this price is the time for you to sell. But they'll remember, hey, here's someone that's authentic. Here's someone I can feel comfortable talking with that's going to be, remain confidential. And you just want to make those people feel comfortable. Even if you don't get a deal out of it, you've established a good relationship there. About how many yellow letters did you send out? On that one, I probably sent it out a couple times. Uh, There's 20, 25 of them. That's pretty good, sending out 20, 25 and getting one deal closed. Oh, yeah. I'll admit that's kind of an anomaly because if you do it for residential properties, mm-hmm. I've had that one. I bought the commercial office that I was in, sending out a yellow letter. I, I'd kind of seen this property sitting around for a while, and I just kind of I watched it. It was on the MLS for a while, and then it came off for about a year. And then I saw it. I'll just send them a letter and just kind of talk with them. I'm not a pushy salesman by any means. I just sit down and talk with them and kind of get an idea, you know, are you interested in selling it? And I tell people, I'm like, I'm not going to be the highest price buyer out there but I'm not going to kind of jerk you around. If I tell you I'll buy it for this, I'll pull it. It's not going to run you through the ringer and all these contingencies. And I'm not going to get you all built up and then I'll be able to get financing and so forth. I've got the money. I can close. And I think that puts a lot of people at ease. You said that you've got a commercial office space 
what should you buy it for and how have the numbers worked out for you since? It's worked out pretty good. I mean, as far as we bought this one, I want to say we bought around 130. It's had a property tax appraisal of 220. So it's got some equity in it. We did a little bit of fixing up to make it our home office. We moved our home office into a rock and room on self-storage. And then we're doing kind of a mix. It's about 4,500 square feet. And it's got three office condos. And one of those office condos, which we're in, we've also got extra office space. So we're going to do kind of an entrepreneurial co-working space. And we've got two other tenants right now. So we're trying to grow that. That's something I really want to grow out in our portfolios, have some additional entrepreneurial co-workers. But I think that's such a cool idea because somebody's wanting to start a business, they don't have to go out and get an office and sign up for utilities and internet and all the other things and sign long-term leases. They get all that for $275, $300 a month, and it's short-term. If they get in three, four months and their business isn't working out, they can get out of it and they don't have all these sunk costs. And for me, I think it's a good thing for this kind of the new sharing economy or the new digital economy we're in right now. Mm -hmm. That co-working space has not been completed yet, right? No, it's not fully ready up. We bought this thing, I guess, in August or in the fall. So we're still renting it out. And I don't know if you've done much commercial, Joe, but I have a hard Commercial is a little harder to rent than residential. And it's certainly harder to rent than self-storage. Have you done much commercial? Only apartment communities and single-family homes. No office or retail. For me, the residential stuff, I can rent that up pretty quick. But office space, anything commercial, you can get them rented up, but there's a longer tail involved in being a good tenant, has been my experience. Mm -hmm. Have you hired a leasing agent to help make things happen? I haven't done that. I've listed it on like LoopNet. I try to keep it out on Craigslist. I've got a sign or I've got it on my website. That's something to consider getting a leasing agent. There's some pretty decent commissions on those commercial leases you pay, but maybe something worth considering. Yeah, or maybe just keep posting on Craigslist and start getting creative with how you structure the agreement with the tenant. I want to go back to the 30 unit that you bought, the storage unit, but you had two concrete pads to build out plus there was a building. Was that the electrical shop that you were talking about earlier? That was, yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, you bought this place, and at the time, it had a building where the previous owner used it as an electrical shop. They had 30 storage units and two concrete pads to build out more. And the result of all that is there are now 140 total units. Is that right? My question is, how do you determine what to pay for that property, knowing that there's the upside potential? That one, just to kind of walk you through, these numbers aren't perfect, but because I remember it, I bought that initial whole facility for 180000 Now, keep in mind, that was in the depths of the Depression. It was like 2009, 2010, somewhere in there. So nobody was buying anything. People weren't getting financing. And then we maybe spent $10,000 at the time just getting both those buildings remodeled. And then those two concrete pads, we just had to put an additional 35 or so storage units on each one. That was $75,000 each to get somebody to put those on. And then build on the control storage units inside that building, that was another thirty grand. So at the end of the day, we probably got about three hundred seventy in it. And that thing will generate about $8,500 a month in rent. So the numbers are pretty good. If you look at that as your monthly rent divided by your cost, that's 
2.3%. Mm-hmm. And typically, a lot of times people look for 1, 1.5% or on yeah. a residential property. See, that's pretty good. You know, if you're getting that, matter of fact, that's, that's really good. I like to get one and a half, two percent when I buy one of these self-storage facilities. There's less, like you're not changing out toilets and fixing those kind of things, but you've got more turnover. So you're always getting new tenants in. You're always got tenants moving out. You're always cleaning them out. Typically, more collecting. You're just doing more high volume. You know, instead of having for a three hundred seventy thousand dollars investment or an apartment, you may have three tenants out of that. You have one hundred forty tenants to deal with. So that's just more volume. What is a hard lesson you've learned? when managing the self-storage facility? I would say in relation to self-storage, just have things set up and just follow through on that. I think it does well for somebody that's good at just managing rental properties too. You got to have your rules, your processes, your procedures. You're doing it high volume. It's not like you've just got one or two tenants. You've got hundreds of tenants. So you've got to set up those processes and try to get everyone that's coming into rent and proactively tell them, you know, this is how things are going to be. This is how you're going to pay your rent. This is when rent's going to be due. This is what's going to happen if you pay after the fifth of the month, you're going to pay a $20 late fee and not let them kind of wag the dog, so to speak. You, you want to get them on your system. Otherwise, you're going to have 350 cats running in different directions and you can't manage it. So you really need to try to get everybody on the same page. And you're going to have some folks that, you know, as you kind of go through that proactively with them or ahead of time, they're going to say, you guys aren't really for me. You know, this isn't a good setup. And that's okay. It's better to have them make that decision early than to get them in and have them think, well, I can do this, 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 and this. And then it tends to end worse in that, in that case. So I think to be honest with people, be upfront with people about what you're expecting, kind of explain to them how things are going to work, and try to stick to those systems as best you can so that you can manage it more efficiently. Mm. So obviously you self-manage the self-storage units, right? That's correct, yeah. Okay. How many hours do you spend a week managing the 350 self-storage units on average? I mean, I'd say we're spending, you know, an hour or two a day, so maybe 10. Okay. You know, that includes going out and checking them. You'll have occasionally you might have to spend a little more time with you know, when you have storage auctions or when people just abandon stuff and you got to haul it off the dock. But I'd say that's pretty fair, maybe 10 hours or so. And this is going to be a stupid question probably, but do you have an on-site person who – oversees it or do all questions and new contracts go to you? Yeah, you're you're talking to the on site manager. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a, and we, you know, we do we've got three locations, but we've got one when you say on site, we've got a, an office in the same town. Now each mm. facility does not have somebody on site. Overall, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say don't pay too much. I mean I think you make your money when you buy an investment, so it's really important to know your numbers when you buy it and just don't pay too much for it because if you pay too much, you can get saddled with a property that you're never going to make anything on. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready. Okay, well, first we got to do a quick pause for our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, 
You better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. BestEverConference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to BestEverConference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com. What's the best ever book you've read? Essays of Warren Buffett by Lawrence Cunningham. He basically takes Warren Buffett's 50 letters to shareholders over the last 50 years or so and combines them into themes. And that's really about his teachings have been a big influence on the idea of buying, figuring out what your circle of confidence is, stay within it, and buy things with a margin of safety. So if you're not sure what something's worth, you know, buy it a little cheaper. And it's absolutely totally fine. If you're not sure about buying something, it's totally fine just to let it pass. You'll just keep looking and find something else that you are comfortable with. Best ever deal you've done? I would say that uh, self-storage facility I was telling you about earlier, where you've got 370 in it and it's 8400 a month in revenue. That's a pretty good deal. That is a very good deal. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I like teaching the folks. I've, I've got a kind of an intern slash helper right now that I'm kind of training and, and teaching him about real estate. And I, I just enjoy kind of passing that along to future generations. What would you say is your biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate investing? I would say, you know, particularly early on, I've made my mistakes. I paid too much. I bought a duplex where I, I paid too much for it. And when I priced it out, I made the mistake a lot of people make me doing everything. I said, what's rent going to be minus mortgage, minus my insurance, minus my property taxes? Okay, cash flow is out $200 a month. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't take into account that I'm going to be the property manager. I'm going to be the guy that's going to be out there mowing the grass, breaking the leaves, answering all the phone calls, and that assumes you're going to have no repairs. And those numbers, that's just not the way real estate works. You, <laughs> you want to buy it where you can actually make some money and be, have it be a passive investment. What's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? They can catch me on sellmichaelyourhouse.com or my main website for my real properties, chandler-property.com. Well, Michael, both those websites are in the show notes. So best ever listeners, go check those two websites out. I love learning new things. Self-storage is an area that I haven't done much studying on, nor have I interviewed too many guests That's why I was like a dog with a bone when you (laughs) mentioned that you do self-storage. I wanted to dig in there and thank you for talking about the value-add opportunities, how you evaluate the purchase price through a very common-sense approach by identifying how much it will cost to fix it up and then backing in to your acquisition price as long as you can make money. And you certainly are with that one property, and I'm sure across the board with the remaining ones but that one where you're generating 8500 in rent. So it's a very good return based on what you bought it for. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Joe. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th, the conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. 
A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.